0: Everything talks about this Almighty God. If we just observe the creation, everything around us, and even within ourselves, we should come to realize that there is something or someone greater than ourselves that exists. His works speak of Him. In the end, childlike curiosity should lead us to God. Hello and welcome to another message from the Latter Rain Ministries, where we're dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. We're going to be talking today about the unknown God. There are many people that follow so many different beliefs and religions throughout the world that think that those things represent ultimate truth somehow. But there is this unknown God that wants to make himself known intimately and personally. And he wants to give every person the opportunity to have eternal life. This unknown God is the God of the Bible, the eternal one, whose only begotten son is Jesus Christ, the only one that can give us eternal life. Today's message is inspired on Acts chapter 17, verses 16 to 34. Let us pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, blessing and honor and glory be to you. Hallowed and glorified be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven, O Lord God. Blessed are you, O Lord, now and always and forever and ever, O Lord God, for there is no one like you. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, O Lord God, humbly that you please forgive me for my sins. Please always, Heavenly Father, have mercy on us. Please remember that we are nothing without you. Lord, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for your guidance. I pray, Heavenly Father, for your ministry. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you help us, O Lord God, to be sensitive to your word. Help us to be sensitive to all the things that speak of you all around us. Help us to be able to think more and more clearly on who you are and what you are and how much we need you, Lord God, and how much you do for us. Blessed are you, O Lord, now and always and forever and ever. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Today's passage can be found in the book of Acts, chapter 17, verses 16 to 34. This is the word of the Lord. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with those Jews and with the Gentile worshipers, and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. And some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new doctrine is of what you speak? For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else, but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, "'Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. Therefore the one whom you worship without knowing Him I proclaim to you, God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with man's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, We will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed. Among them Dionysius, the Europagite, and the woman named Damaris, and others with them. We just read that the Apostle Paul made mention of this altar that had the inscription to the unknown God. And he explains to them that this is ultimately the God of the Jews, because at the beginning people struggled with his name. That is how deviated people had become, that they didn't even know what to call him. When Moses, for instance, spoke to God through the burning bush at Mount Horeb, he asked God who he should tell the children of Israel had sent him. And we read this in the book of Exodus. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am, has sent me to you. At that point, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had presented to Moses not just a name, but an identity, a characteristic, if you will, of God, that the Lord was from eternity, is presently, and will always be God, and that he does not change, that he is constant. Those are the implications of the I am. We see through the Bible that this supposed unknown God was a personal God and that those that adopted a faith in him would call him their God, like he was mentioned before as the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. There was always a personal reference. But the same God was always supposed to have been known through his works. That has always been the purpose of God, to show his existence to all people through the things he has made. That's the whole purpose of creation, to tell of his marvelous and wondrous works. We are supposed to sense God's greatness through our senses. That's our connection to this world and ultimately to the universe. We are supposed to perceive this personal and relational God. In Romans chapter 1, verse 20, we read, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. This is the same thing that Paul makes reference to in his discourse to these people in Athens, that God made the world and everything in it. And so, everything talks about this almighty God. If we just observe the creation, everything around us, and even within ourselves, we should come to realize that there is something or someone greater than ourselves that exists. His works speak of him. In the end, Childlike curiosity should lead us to God. Most people ask the wrong question because their focus is always selfish. That's the greatest fuel for sin, selfishness. We typically look to satisfy our own personal issues. We tend to focus on our own meager existence. And we let our very small interests cloud up and deviate the very first question we should ask. Who is behind all of this? There is absolutely nothing wrong in having questions. God doesn't have any issues with their questions, but they need to be focused on the bigger picture. They need to be worthy of his person. For instance, a very good question to ask, even as a person that does not seem to perceive God is, what is the purpose for my existence? Why are we here? God can work with those questions if we really open ourselves up genuinely to the answer. God can't deal with rhetorical questions, for instance, or answering questions that you have already devised answers to. If these questions are not genuine, he can give all kinds of answers, but you simply won't be open to those answers. We always need to remember that God is not the problem. We are the problem, or more specifically, our sin within us is the problem. Sin clouds any kind of sound judgment or logical reasoning. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. But here is the issue. What are people asking? What are they seeking? What are they hoping to find? The first issue is having an erroneous, predetermined concept of what you want to receive or find or be presented with. Nobody can work with that. And the problem is that if a person is so determined in getting the answers they want, Rather than the true answers they need, they will in fact get what they want. For instance, if people are so set on not getting to God and they continually reject that God is the answer they need, then God will give them what they want an existence without Him. If we go back to Romans chapter 1, we read the following Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. You see, God gives people the answer all of the time, that he is the answer, that they need to seek him, and everything that we see and hear and taste and touch and smell leads us to him. But most people do not like that answer. They refuse to accept that as the answer, and so they turn to other things that go away from the answer they have received. And if they remain so set in their ways, in rejecting God over and over and over, then God will feed their rebellion. His word says that he will give them up to uncleanness, to the lust of their hearts, and that they will even dishonor their bodies among themselves. The same passage in Romans continues saying, For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchange the natural use of what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. What does giving them over to a debased mind mean? When people push God beyond the limits of His mercy, He will let them experience His ultimate judgment, and that is that they will become stupid. There is no simpler way of putting it. This is how we get to this issue that everything we try to fix, we just turn into bigger and bigger problems. Nothing gets resolved. Actually, quite the contrary. People fix one thing, and ten other things go wrong with their proposed solutions. If you look at the world today, There are a lot of things that just do not make any sense. Things that were thought of as being ridiculous or absurd before are now encouraged, justified, and even praised and glorified, and dare I say, even legalized in most places. Why is it so difficult for many people to see the truth of God? Because most people ultimately want to do whatever they want to do. And if God doesn't go along with whatever they want to do, then they reject him. Yet our existence should make it very apparent that we need someone like him, which is the next thing that should happen when we gaze at and observe creation. We depend on the Lord for everything. So from a common sense point of view, we should look for him. Just think about all the things that happen out of our control. Human control is an illusion. We think we have control over our lives and the things around us, but it's an error or a complete overstatement. I know this will not be easy to accept, but this is how we can start to understand our sinfulness through all of the things we take for granted. It is mind-boggling just how much we take for granted and worse, how ungrateful we are. Think about this. Do we have any control over cosmic and earthly things? Are we in control of our solar system? Who is in charge of making sure that the planets orbit and stay where they are? Is there an engineer or some machinery we have built as humans that controls and keeps the earth in place with relation to the sun? Do we keep the earth spinning on its axis? How about gravity? Are we in charge of that? Now, some of you might say, I know I can't control that, but I have control over myself. Do you really? Do you think you have control over the fact that you woke up this morning? Are you consciously in control of your heart beating or your lungs breathing? How about all of your other involuntary actions? Your digestion, your processing of food. How about the circulation of your blood throughout your body? Science calls these actions that are going on all of the time as involuntary, which means that there is something inside of you that makes this all happen, but it's definitely not something that you are doing consciously. The only thing we can control is our conscious decision-making. And that's it, because we can't even control the outcome of our decisions. I can, for instance, decide to go to work one day and I could be making very conscious decisions to drive safely, but I have no control over the decisions that other people make in traffic. How many people die in car accidents every day, everywhere on the planet because of other people's carelessness? Some people think that they can manipulate their circumstances and that's why they think they're so smart. But just because they are somehow lucky, or dare I say, because God has allowed for things to apparently go their way, they think they do those things. There are people that think that they made their own lives, and that they have careers because of their own determination. And I applaud people like that, that have been able to make careers for themselves, coming from very humble beginnings with limited resources. But the reality is that you didn't do it on your own. There were others that probably helped you in some way and you just didn't realize it. But above all of that, there was God. Even though you didn't acknowledge him or even take a moment to know who he is and what he wants from you, out of his great mercy, he helped you. Someone might say, how? And I have to answer and remind us of things which we very ignorantly and offensively call minor things. Does your determination allow you to wake up in the morning? Or have the mental ability to read and study and learn? What about helping you have the circumstances you need to attain what you have? What if you had a brilliant mind but had an accident with your eyesight and could no longer see? What then? Could you be a doctor? What if a doctor had a car accident where he or she lost both of their hands? Could they ever be a surgeon? Do you understand that if you have arrived somewhere or gained something, It is all because God has allowed it to happen and that you really have no control over anything. Do you understand our limits and those things that we call simple and take for granted at every single moment are the incredible things that God allows for them to happen or not happen? I hope you're starting to at least get a glimpse of understanding of just how much you and I owe God and about how much we depend on him. And when we begin to understand, because it is just too much if we start to number them one by one, here is the question that should arise within our hearts. If we have the slightest form of reasoning, what is man compared to God? What are we before this so-called unknown God as these Greeks called him? King David understood this very thing and wrote, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? What are we in the grand scheme of things? And more importantly, what are we before this almighty and eternal God? God himself said this through the prophet Isaiah, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build for me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things my hand is made and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one I will look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. God in his infinite greatness does think about each one of us. And he does give us incredible opportunities. And here's where we see his great and incredible love. We sometimes think that we are privileged somehow because we had the opportunity to meet someone we consider important like a millionaire or a movie star or a well-known singer or a person that has made important contributions to our society. But there are people like you and me with the exact same limitations. But no one can or does anything for us like God can and does for us day in and day out. And yet, despite our insignificance, he not only acknowledges us, and with this, think about all the people you dismiss and ignore, you being you daily. He chose to love us. Despite his infinite greatness, he chose to love you and me. For it is written, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Even though we have sinned against him willfully, by not paying attention to him, by taking for granted all of the things he does, by looking more to other things rather than looking for him, despite all of that, he elected to love you and me. It is more than sinful to ignore all of the things that God does for us all of the time. But how much more offensive can it be to not consider his love? Or worse, rather than choosing to acknowledge and return his love, that a person choose to reject him. And so I have to ask you today, how would you react to this God of love? Are you acknowledging everything he does for you? Are you looking to return his love? Are you giving him the proper place in your life he deserves? You know, many people blame God for so many things that seem to go wrong, but most of the time, people blame God for other man's evils. This power we do have, and it's called free will. Each one of us has free will. It's referred to throughout the Bible. There are verses in the Bible where God says, choose or make a decision. He said this to his people Israel, for instance, in Deuteronomy chapter 30. For this commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. Joshua also confronted Israel with choice. In Joshua chapter 24, it says, Now therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me, and my house, we will serve the Lord." These passages are very clear about the implications of choice. Now, how about us today? The word of God has this to say, but those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. So you see, the unknown God doesn't want to be unknown to us. Actually, quite the contrary. He wants to be known personally and intimately. He makes himself known through all things and even through our own existence. And most importantly, He has made himself known through the love sacrifice that he did for all mankind so that through the Lord Jesus Christ, every person that turns away from their sins and receives Jesus as the Lord of their lives can find salvation and eternal life. And he shows this love gracefully. We don't deserve his love. We have not done anything to merit his love. We have actually all sinned and rebelled willfully against God. We have been oblivious to everything he does for us because of the hardness of our hearts. Yet he showed his grace and has granted salvation by faith through the Lord Jesus Christ. God wants to be known and he wants for you to be with him forever. Why can we say that he loves us? God cares about the most important thing to us, our salvation. This is the problem that most people do not think of, that you can gain the whole world and yet lose your own soul because nothing in this world can save you. There is no eternal life in the devil or in carnal desires and least of all in sin. When we have not repented and converted from all of our sins and voluntarily made Jesus the Lord of our lives, we are still dead in our sins and trespasses. And all of the money and human success and carnal relationships and worldly knowledge cannot save us. We can surely not save ourselves. There are two things that are completely certain and those are that we will all die someday and the second that when we die we will all be judged by our actions. Every single person, young and old, rich and poor, everyone will stand judgment before Almighty God. And there is nothing that can justify anyone before a supremely holy God. There is only one thing that can save a person, and that is faith in Christ. And it is not just about saying that you believe, but rather that you must surrender your life to Him and follow Him as the literal Lord of your life. That is the only way to salvation. That is the only way to have eternal life this is how we can see God's love, through His grace and mercy. Before Jesus Christ, there was no salvation, no access to heaven for any human being after death. But now, through Jesus Christ, there is complete access to the Father and to His Kingdom. This is why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And some of you might say, John, why do you talk so much about this? Why so much emphasis on salvation and eternal life? And the reason is that there is no running away from the reality that this life is fragile. And it is too costly to live your life in a way that you will lose your opportunity at eternal life your soul should be the most important thing to you because that is the main likeness that we have with God since we're, we were created by God in His likeness and image. The greatest likeness that we have with God is that we can either live forever through Jesus Christ or die forever in our sins. And we don't know when our time on this earth will come. I may be preaching this message right now and five minutes from now, either through some accident or through some unknown health issue or through whatever life-ending circumstance that may occur, I may find myself before the judgment seat of Christ. And this is true for all of us. You can die at any moment, and there is nothing you can do about it. You can fight and struggle and diet and exercise and have human power and all of the money in the world. But if God says that it's your time, as sure as you and I are breathing at this very moment, It will be your time and then what there are no second chances there is no coming back to do it all over again once you are standing before the Lord it is all said and done and depending on whether you chose for the Lord or not whether you did the Father's will here and now or not those things will determine your eternal destination and this is what the word says Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. This isn't a scare tactic. This isn't fiction. This is reality. And you can find yourself probably moments from now giving an account and be found lacking before this God that will become more real than whatever you and I can ever imagine. For your own good, seek the Lord. Repent from your sins. Turn away from following your carnality and follow the Lord Jesus Christ so you can do the Father's will and be ready for whenever this unknown God calls you to stand before Him. Living your life the wrong way will cost you eternity. Your soul is not a game. Hell is not a game. Eternal separation from God is the worst thing that can happen to anyone and it can be forever. For your own sake, Choose for Jesus Christ today and come to know this God that wants for you to know him personally, the same God that wants to save you forever. Let us pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, blessed are you, O Lord God. Thank you for your love, for your grace, and for your mercy. There are so many things that we owe you, Lord God. There are so many things that you do for us all of the time, every moment, Lord. There are these incredible things that happen all over the place, all around us, O Lord, that happen on your say-so because of your person, Lord God. Heavenly Father, we are so limited. We have absolutely no power over anything around us and not even over ourselves. Heavenly Father, please forgive us, O Lord, for having such a hard heart being so insensitive, Lord God, and voluntarily oblivious to all the things that you do. Help us, O Lord, to be able to see you clearly, to be able to understand who you are and what you are, and help us to understand, Lord God, that one day each one of us will stand judgment. Heavenly Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you may help me and those that are listening to this message be ready for that moment. Heavenly Father, help us, O Lord, that we may be found worthy through Jesus Christ and that our works through Jesus Christ may be found that are according to your will, that we may be found doing the Father's will, Lord God. Heavenly Father, please have mercy on us. And please forgive us for how ungrateful and Lord God, just how sinful we are. Please have mercy on us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Please join us again next time as we look into God's Word together. And if you have any questions or just need some prayer, please email us through our website. If you want to listen to other messages, you can go to our website or look for our podcast in the Apple iTunes store under The Latter Rain Ministries to subscribe. The Latter Rain Ministries is a self-supporting Christian ministry dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. The Lord is near. May God bless you.